So Ephesians chapter 3, as we continue our study here in the book of Ephesians, um, we conclude this chapter 3 and conclude this prayer of Paul, this prayer of dedication over the church to the Lord. Uh, And reminding ourselves this prayer so far in these five points of prayer that we discussed last week is that we would, as a church and as individuals, be strengthened with might, that Christ may dwell in our hearts, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would comprehend the love of Christ, and that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now we get to this text today with those prayer points in mind, as it says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. We're going to break this down piece by piece today. As you can see, we're only covering two verses today, which is a lot compared to other weeks in Ephesians, but uh, just these two verses. And we start with that, to him who is able. Paul, again, closing out this prayer of dedication over the church, brings focus to him, to God, this focus on God, and that God is able Uh, With that last prayer point in mind, which was to be filled with all the fullness of God. Now we're going to look at this a bit of what the fullness of God is. He just finished saying that we, that the church, that you all as individuals and as the church, as the body of Christ, would be filled with all the fullness of God. That is a giant prayer. And so now he's saying, look, I'm going to ask big But let's talk about how big God is. To him who is able, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? Let's talk about the ability of God. And that's what we're going to be focusing in on for a bit today. In this word able is is really our springboard into the study to talk about God's ability. Which is truly limitless. Reminding us, once again, of God's economy and God's riches, the riches of his grace, of his mercy, of his wisdom, and of his glory. These are all things that we have been constantly coming back to and reminded of here in Ephesians. The riches that God has and that he gives according to those riches. And that there's that great grace and mercy and wisdom and glory. So as God gives according to and not out of, right? We talked about that last week. He doesn't just give out of his riches. He gives according to his riches. And so as we, we focus on that, uh, that his riches are endless, we look further than into the nature of God And beyond just the riches of God, we talk about his nature and who he is. Not just what he's able to give, but what he's able to do. We've talked so much about what he he gives. Out of his riches, according to his riches, that he is rich in grace and mercy. But further, what is God able to do? So we get into that then, uh, and we're going to skip ahead to the end of this first verse to break it down. So what is he able to do? He's able to do 
all that we ask. No man in their ability is able to do all that they are asked to do. No man in their riches or strength is able to fulfill all the requests that are asked of them. Now, I've got four kids, and the kids ask a lot. They are asking for things constantly. Just yesterday, we went into Target just for a few minutes. <laughs> you guys, <laughs> Target, oh no. <laughs> I don't know what, what asks for more, my kids or my wife at Target, right? Target is like the trap. They should change the name. <laughs> but, you know, they can ask for a lot. And the reality is that I cannot give, I cannot meet all of what they ask for because of two things. Limitation of resources being one and limitation of ability. Now, that's just in Target. Now, that's a limitation of resource. Like, they want, I want this. Can I have this? Can I get this? No, you can't because I can't buy the whole store of Target. Not, I don't have the resources to do, to, to do that. But then in, in just everyday life, it's so easy. And I watch specifically with my wife, not so much me, right? Dads, we know. Like, they don't ask us what they ask mom. And they're just constantly asking, can I have, can I have, can you do, can you? And, and not even can you, but there's an expectation and even demands on all of the time and all of the things. And can I have a snack? That question is asked a hundred times every day in our house. Can I have a snack? Can I have a snack? You just finished a snack. I'm still hungry. It's lunchtime. I still want a snack. It's unbelievable, right? But it's all the questions of what they request constantly. And there's not enough time and effort and there's not enough ability that we have to actually fulfill every single thing that our kids ask. And that's just our kids. Well, what about everything else that is asked of us as people? Be it your job or be it your spouse or just friendships. And there's different things that are always asked of us. And we're always falling short of meeting all the demands of life. We're always falling short of meeting what everybody asks or requests of us. So just giving us a picture, and that's just us, an individual, we have a problem meeting all the asks that are out there. But God has neither limitation of resource or ability. These two things that limit us greatly as people, as human beings, as parents, as workers and co-workers and friends, we have limitations on our resource and our ability. But God, who is rich, and God, who is able, has zero limitations in either resource or ability because he is rich and he is able. Now, we think about God is able to do all that we ask. What are we asking for? We ask for a lot of things. And you know what? Sadly, we don't always ask for a lot of things. We don't ask God. We don't always just invite him in and ask him, God, help me. 
help me with this situation, help me with this scenario, or, or help me just with, sometimes it's a little thing, and we think, oh, it's too little, I don't have to worry about that, or, no, God, help me. Sometimes I'm trying to put together, like, a, you know, you get the, the piece of furniture at the store, and there's 400,000 little pieces, and then the package that's like impossible to take apart anyway. And, and then you're like, what is this? Where did this come from? And it's left aside. And the instructions that are in 17 languages. And you have to, there's only three languages or three pages of instruction. But it, the book is this thick because it's in 17 different languages. You know, and you're just going, you're trying to figure it out. And, and we get caught up. You know, sometimes I'm getting, I get so frustrated with the situation that's in front of me. I'm like, Lord, help. And you know what? He answers. And that's just silly stuff. But there's other things that we, we should be asking for. And we do ask for. We ask for strength in the midst of difficult times. We ask for strength when we're weak. We ask for wisdom when we're lacking. And the Bible tells us to ask. If you're lacking wisdom, ask because he gives liberally. We ask for peace in the midst of chaos or in the midst of a storm, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of loss. We ask for peace. We ask for encouragement, comfort. We ask for help. We ask God for guidance. We ask God for blessing, blessing over our families, our homes. We ask God for provision. We ask God for victory over sin in our lives, and in the lives of those around us. We ask God to settle things sometimes when we have chaos. Maybe there's difficult dynamics in relationships. These are all things, we ask God. We ask and we ask and we ask and we ask. And he desires for us to ask. No matter what we ask though, God is able. Further, not only is he able to do all that we ask, God is able to do all that we think. We have some pretty wild dreams sometimes, don't we? We have some pretty crazy ideas out there. We have thoughts that we never even express, but we don't have to because God knows the thoughts. We have unspoken hopes and dreams and unspoken longings so intangible we can't even put them into words sometimes. But God is able. Do we recognize what we're saying when we, when we read this verse and we sing a song about it and we'll, we'll say it, we'll proclaim it, God is able, able to do far above all we can ask or think. But let's really imagine what that means we can't actually imagine what that means. The reality here of what it's saying is that God is able to do what is beyond our wildest dreams. We have unspoken prayers for holiness, godliness, fulfillment. God knows those things, and God is able to do and fulfill those things. And God cares about his church so much. He loves his church so much 
that he cares about the small stuff. You know, I said before, you know, sometimes I'll just ask God to help me when I'm trying to figure out how to put something together. God, help me. He cares. He cares about your, your thoughts and your ideas. And sometimes they're just wild dreams out there, and he's like, you know what, here, because I love you so much, I'm gonna give you that. I'm gonna bless you with that. I want you to be encouraged in your faith, and so here's a blessing, an extra blessing. And he cares about those little things. Look, this week, I had a, a dream come true for me as a, as a crazy Yankee fan. I had the opportunity to meet Mariano Rivera. Yes, yeah, some of you guys are like, wow. Some of you guys are like, who's that? Sorry, listen. <laughs> Pastor Mark was like, who's Mariano Rivera? Oh, I, I don't know. He needs discipleship. <clears throat> There's a local church that was hosting a golf outing with him, and I know the pastor, hey, come, in, come on over to the golf course. You got to meet him. Okay, I'll be right there. <laughs> but I got that opportunity, and, and I'm, I'm about to go into this, this room, into the office. He's in the office, and the pastor's like, yeah, come on in. And, and I'm like, oh, man, my heart's pounding. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. <clears throat> and so I go, and I'm like, I had to, I had to figure it out. I'm going to say something that's, like, godly and cool at the same time, you know. <laughs> If you don't know who Marion Rivera is, he's uh, the greatest closer in the history of baseball, hands down, the only unanimous Hall of Fame vote in the history of baseball. And, and he's a godly man who loves Jesus and is part of planting churches in Panama. And it's great, you know. So, but I got to talk to him for a few minutes and I came out. And I'm like, I can't believe that just happened. And I have a picture on my phone and I'm like, I just got, whoa, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> It's so silly, right? I was like a little kid on Christmas. But see, God cares about those little things too. And he gives us those opportunities. And that's not like I was like, oh, Lord, if just one day I could meet Mariano Rivera, please just let it happen. No, he knew, he knew my thoughts. He knew the desires that, man, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm a Mariano Rivera fan. And so he cares, and he's able to do things, and he's able to set things up for us. It's just like, I care about my kids. I care about my kids, and I know what my kids are thinking. I know what their desires are. Now, we're talking about desires that are like real desires, not like, hey, you know, I just, I just want to have power over the world, and I want to have power. I want to be, you know, be able to take over the world one day. No, it's, I, God is... Hey, these are good things. I want to give you good things. Not selfish, just ungodly things. And sometimes maybe some of you are struggling with that. You're like, You're, my desires are not godly. Well, you need to have godly desires. You need to be renewed in your mind and let your thoughts be filtered through the Holy Spirit. But listen, God desires to give you even those things. And he's able to give you even those things. He cares about the little things. You know what we need to do is we need to just be reminded to invite him into our everyday life. 
When we're inviting him in, then as we're delighting ourselves in the Lord, he gives you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart will be in line with reflecting the image of Christ. You'll be desiring godly things, and he will work those things in us. And he'll bless us with those blessings. We need to invite him in to our everyday operations. So to him who is able to do, the next thing we're looking at is all. All that we ask or think. We're not limited to one request. We're not limited in, in our, our thoughts and minds even. We're not, we're not limited to that place of like, okay, what's it gonna be? Like a genie in the bottle and we've gotta think about it. What do I really want And I'm limited to that because of our finite minds. We're not limited to one request. We're not limited at all because God is not limited at all. Again, like I talked about my kids who make requests, I have a limit. I have limitations because of limitation of resource, because of limitation of ability, but God has no limit. You know, when, when we go on vacation, I'll usually tell my kids, hey, everybody gets to get like a souvenir, right? Wherever it is, and like, hey, let's get something that's gonna remind you of that place. And like, I'll be like, hey, you know, everybody gets 10 bucks or something like that. Because I got four kids. Can't be like, yeah, everybody gets $100 for souvenirs on the trip. Like, whoa, that's gonna, that's gonna break the bank here. But hey, everybody, get a little something. But see, there's no limitation with God. There's all. It's not just one request. It's not just one thing that we have to really fix our our idea on. And this is what I want, God. And this is the big thing. God already does great things. He already does things that are bigger than what we can imagine. But then he's telling us of his ability here that is so far beyond our comprehension. It's so far beyond our ideas. It's so far beyond what we even ask for. God doesn't limit us to small requests either. And that's what Paul, even as he just requested in the previous verse, to be filled with all the fullness of God. We talked about it last week. That is a big ask. That is a giant request to be filled with all the fullness of God. But it's not so big if you recognize what God is able to do and what he already has done. And the reality is that God desires for us to ask for big things. Right, Matthew says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. But the translation is talking about asking and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. It's it's continual, this request. Just keep asking. God answers prayer. And it might not just, it's not going to be like, man, oh, we're talking all about this this fulfilling and this, this great wealthy life that we get to live. No, that's not it at all. Because if you remember back to the beginning of Ephesians, we're talking about the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. And specifically, we're talking about the things that God is able to do in our lives. And yes, he gives us those extra blessings along the way. But think on all the things that he's able to do. Think on all the things that he's already done. Redemption. 
Jesus died and rose from the dead and gives us the opportunity to have a relationship with him and, and walk in the newness of life, to be remade in Christ, and to have the gift of eternal life. Is that not enough? But you see, it's far beyond. It's far beyond what we can wrap our minds around. But God desires for us to ask big things. God, change me. That's a big ask. God, change my situation, my scenario, my circumstance. God, step into this difficulty. God, heal. These are big asks, but he desires for us to ask. He desires for us to ask big things because he's a big God. And he gives according to his riches. And he is pleased when we ask according to his riches. There's an illustration uh, of a man who once did Alexander the Great a great service. And Alexander told him to ask for any type of reward that he wished. The superpower of that day, Alexander the Great said, ask for anything that you want. And the man made such an enormous demand on the treasury that the imperial treasurer refused to pay it. The man then appealed to Alexander the Great who said, this man knows the greatness of Alexander and has asked accordingly. We are greatly honored. Grant his request. Now, Alexander the Great wasn't so great, <laughs> especially in comparison to God. But in the same sense, God is honored. As Alexander the Great said, we are greatly honored that you would ask such a great request. God is honored. God is glorified when we recognize how big he is and ask accordingly. Remembering once again, as it says in the beginning of Ephesians, of the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. That we're asking for great things spiritually to be done. Why not ask for revival? Let's be real. We, we live in a world today, sometimes we throw up our hands like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I was having a conversation with some guys last night. We're like, is it too late? Is it too late for America? Is there hope for America? Just, you know, in, in conversation, that's a question. We sometimes ask, like, what's the deal? What's going on here? Things are a mess. But why not pray for revival? Pray believing that God is able. That he's able to work in our lives. And he's able to bring change across our nation. Now that change is not going to be a political change. It's going to be spiritual revival. It's going to be an awakening to the things of God. It's going to be repentance over sin that is so great in this generation. 
So what is God, God is able to then do above. So we've talked about what we ask. He's able to do all that we ask. He's able to do all that we think. He's able to do all things, and he's actually able to do above all that. He can take what we ask and actually enlarge it and make it bigger. Like, oh, you're asking too small. He's able to do more than that. He takes our thoughts, he takes our requests, and he goes beyond. Because our thoughts and our minds are so finite, but his ways are infinite. He's beyond our thoughts, therefore he can do what is beyond our thoughts. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the separation we talked about last week, the love of Christ and the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of Christ that we can't actually put it into our dimensions. Even though we try to measure according to our dimensions, we can't. And so here we are continuing in that same thought and the the depth, the separation between God and man as far as dimensions go. And, And understanding that his thoughts are so far beyond our thoughts. His ways are so far beyond our ways. It's actually outside of our realm of understanding. It's outside of our time and space. We've talked about that even when it comes to predestination and that question that will constantly come up in the church. Predestination is the idea that before the foundation of the world, God made a plan for salvation. So what does that tell me? It's outside of our time and space. It's before the foundation of the world. It is in a godly realm, a heavenly realm that is not really something that we can wrap our minds around. And so here in Ephesians, we continue in that same idea. He is able to do above all that we can ask or think because he in his ways and his thoughts are so far outside of our realm, our time and space and our realm of understanding. God is able. You see what we're doing here is we just look at these different words. It's all actually beyond us. It's all above us, so far above. And Paul says as well, this is a we, all that we ask or think. Now, remembering that Ephesians was a book written and put into circulation, this collective we is the church, present in that day, present today, and future. We. Now, that's a lot of we. That's a lot of people. And there's a lot of thoughts and asks within all those people. But more specifically even, Paul would be speaking of himself along with the apostles, the other apostles. Now, just think about what the apostles had seen. And based on what they have seen, what do you think they could imagine? What do you think they could ask for? Several of them, they saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They saw Jesus perform miracles. 
They saw Jesus hang on a cross. And they saw the resurrected Christ, as did Paul. Now, based on what they saw and experienced for themselves, they could imagine a lot. They saw Jesus ascend to heaven. There's some pretty wild imagination based on what they have seen. And so Paul is saying, above all that we can ask, and we've seen Jesus do great things, the apostles. Paul has seen Jesus work in his life, appear to him on the road to Damascus. We've seen him do great things. And God is able to do above that beyond that, more than that. Truly, guys, there's nothing that God can't do. Now, further, there's these two words that's a really weird phrase in the English language as well as the Greek language, exceedingly abundantly. Now, we like to like translate it into our own understanding. We'll say exceedingly and abundantly. It just says exceedingly abundantly. This makes no sense grammatically, does it? In, even in the Greek, it's a phrase that essentially Paul made up. Exceedingly and abundantly. Exceedingly abundantly. There's not enough words. And the, these two words put together in the Greek are a phrase that is made up. It doesn't exist. And it's to say truly that there are no words or even languages that can describe God's Ability. Exceedingly abundantly is like, I mean, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. We make up words. I, I like making up words. I, don't, I mean, I do it all the time. And, and Pastor Mark, he, he tells me, he's like, yeah, that's, you made that up. I'm like, I know. But I like it. I feel like it has more meaning this way, you know. I'll give that extra exceedingly abundantly idea, you know. Out of, maybe it's exaggeration for me, but... It's not exaggeration for God. There's no words and there's no language that could wrap this up to make sense exceedingly abundantly. Spurgeon says it this way, he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, so abundantly that it exceeds measure and description. God doesn't just make minor improvements on our ways. He remakes them. Our thoughts, our ways, our being. As individuals, we've been studying so much about this. We are his workmanship, meaning he is remaking us into his image. That is exceedingly abundantly. Imagine that. God at the beginning of time created man in his image. We messed that up. Sin entered the world and caused all sorts of problems. But then God made a way for us to be remade into that same image. That's exceedingly abundantly. That's, that's something that we're like, whoa. There's not words to describe what he's able to do. 
all our thoughts, all our prayers, all our desires. Here's when the exceedingly abundantly comes into understanding when we see Jesus face to face. Now we get a lot. We get a lot here. We are being remade into the image of Christ. We're being transformed. We have opportunity to walk in newness of life and there's great blessings that God bestows upon us. But we will not understand in full We will not understand the fullness of God until we see Jesus face to face. And all our thoughts and prayers and desires will be fulfilled. Further, it says here that it is according to the power that works in us. It's his power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. All of this ability that God has, he desires to work in us. Even before heaven. He desires to work in us. That's why he says, ask. Ask for big things. Because God wants to work. And this power, the word dunamis, speaking of God's unlimited power, the power that Jesus promised would come through the Holy Spirit, life-changing power, world-changing power. As Paul can testify, as the apostles can testify, as we, the body of Christ, can testify. Through relationship with Jesus Christ, we have been changed and we are being changed by Jesus into the image of Christ. That's power. And that power then again brings us back to, there's another part of his riches. There's grace, there's mercy, there's wisdom, there's glory. Now there's power. So according to the riches of God, there's no limit. According to the ability of God, there's no limit of what he can do and what he has. We can testify of life-changing power. I can testify of life-changing power. I could testify of circumstance-changing power. And you know what? God's not always going to just change the circumstance. We pray for it. We ask for it. He desires for us to ask. But oftentimes, God's going to change us along the way. And we think that when my life is so difficult, when my situation is so impossible, I ask and then God's not answering. Is he able? Yes, he is. In fact, he's doing something exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can ask or think right now. He's changing you. And eventually, perhaps, he'll change your circumstance. But he's changing you. That is exceedingly abundantly. Above what we can ask or imagine. Beyond our wildest dreams. We're talking about a resurrection power that works in us to change us and to change the world. And that power is available to us. So we're talking about God's ability, and now we're talking about God's availability. The availability of God's ability is what we're talking about. 
That power, his ability is available to us. And it's not the type of thing that we just got to tap into and we can name it and claim it. We walk by faith and ask him to work and to do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. Because there's the heavenly places, there's the realm that's beyond us, that there's things happening that are beyond our realm. We were introduced a few weeks ago here in Ephesians to the idea of the principalities and the spiritual uh, beings, and there's this battle that's going on outside of our realm, but it's happening all around us, and it's affecting us. And so when we ask, should it just be about, hey, God, deal with that person who's giving me a hard time? But we battle not against flesh and blood. So what uh, exceedingly abundantly beyond what we ask or think is, Lord, you fight the battle. We sang that song today, right? I know the battle. I know the battle. The battle's yours. It's not mine. It's not here. It's in the heavenly places. Verse 21, then, it's to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. To him be glory. This is our ultimate purpose. Remember, this is all a prayer of the dedication of the church. And Paul closes his prayer to recognize the ability of God and then the availability of God's ability to the church. Remember, the church, Jesus said, against, uh, I build my church upon the rock that is Jesus, and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. That's power. That's ability, and that is availability of his ability. And so now we're getting into this closing of the prayer of the purpose of the church to give God glory. To him be glory. This is our ultimate purpose as individuals, as the workmanship of God, as people and as the church, individuals and the church as a whole, not just Cornerstone Church. This is the purpose of the church to bring glory to God. And this is the proper response to all that we've been talking about here of God's ability and God's availability. The proper response is to glorify God. And he says it there, in the church. To him be glory in the church. Clarifying specifically, this is the purpose of the church. This is not just what individuals are all about. This is what the church is all about to bring God glory. Publicly, in our gatherings, that's what we're here for. We are here to give God glory. We're here for him. You'll hear us say that. Lord, we're here for you. Psalm 115 says, not to us, O Lord. Not to us. He repeats it. Not to us. Let me make it clear. But to your name, give glory because of righteousness, because of truth, because of who you are, we give glory. That's my purpose, and that's our purpose. We're here for him. I hate to break it to you. We're not here for you. 
We're not here for your comfort and your likeness and your desires of what you want your cookie cutter church to be. We are here for the glory of God. That's our purpose. That's why we gather. That's why we're gathered here in the name of Jesus, the name that's above every name. Oh, there we go, above, exceedingly and abundantly. Above, the name that's above every name. We're here for him and him alone. And we're here to be changed by him because that's what brings him glory. And there's a a glorious thing that happens as we've been talking so much about the unity of the body of Christ. And that gives God glory. That's why it's essential that we come together. We don't neglect the gathering of the brethren. But we're here for God's glory. And this glory in the church is through Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, as it says. A reminder that Christ is the head of the church. That's going to give him glory. This is all Paul's prayer, to dedicate the church, that the church would know its purpose and understand our purpose is to give glory to God, to recognize the unity that we have in the body of Christ, to acknowledge the ability that, we, that God has and the availability that we have to access that power, that resurrection power, to change our lives and to give him glory. And it is with Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And Christ alone is the head of the church. We are only here because of him, because of what he's done. And we're here for him. And then it is to all generations forever and ever. Amen. His praise will forever be proclaimed. It will forever be on the lips of the church, saying holy, 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 not just the church, but the angels in heaven. Revelation chapter four, verse eight, and we're gonna close with this, verse eight through 11, if you're taking note. It says this, the four living creatures each having six wings were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. This is exactly what we are going to be part of for all eternity. This is an image of the glorious worship of the heavenly places. Holy, holy, holy. And it says that without rest. They did not rest day or night. The greatest proclamation that we have on our lips as the church is holy, 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 
Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Those words cannot be repeated enough. And that is our purpose. That's what we're here for, and that's what we're going to be there for. The glory of God for all eternity, as it says here, forever and ever. It is to all generations. The hosts of heaven surrounding the throne without rest because he is worthy, as it says, to receive glory and honor and power, recognizing he created all things and all things are by his will existing. We're part of his perfect plan. He has great ability. God is able and our response to his ability is to glorify him. This is our purpose. As Paul prays a prayer of dedication of the church to glorify God as individuals, as the church, with all of heaven and for all eternity. Closing with this here. God's ability and availability show us that he is worthy. So let's give him glory for all eternity. We get to start now. We get to start now. We get a lot of practice. And don't let the practice just be when we're together at church on Sunday. But we can practice every single day, holy, holy, holy. Without rest, do our lives make that proclamation in response to the ability that God has, the power that we, the church, are part of, and the plan that we, the church, are part of. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Let's pray. Lord, we do give you glory and thanks and praise. And we make that proclamation as a church, as a whole, and say, holy, holy, holy. We worship you, God, because you're worthy, because you are able, because of your, uh, your nature, your character, who you are, what you've done, what you're able to do, we look to you because we are not worthy, because we are not able. Help us to realize that, how desperate we are for you to move. We need you, Jesus. We love you.